Today we're going to be in John chapter 15 again. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you, I've, I've struggled a little bit with this message. Um, you'll see why I think as I, as I preach it. It's not one that in our church culture today that I think that you're going to hear very often. But because it's my desire to, um, make sure that I don't skip around and just preach the things that feel good, that I preach the word, we go through the book of John, we've, or we, we go through the Bible verse by verse, and we've come to a passage that is difficult. And, um, it's not so difficult to understand. I think the understanding that we're going to gain today is very clear. I think Jesus is straightforward when he says it. But it's going to put on us a weight, I think, that we are expected to carry. And you'll see as we go forward. But I'm going to start, John chapter 15 will be where we spend most of our time. I'm going to start in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus is speaking and he says, I've said these things, these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Before we go any further, I just want to stop and pray. And I just want to ask for his blessings on this. I want to ask for his, his, uh, anointing. And I want to ask him to, to really open our hearts to what he has for us. So Father, I just pray now that you would speak, that your words would be clear, that I would move out of the way, that, that I would just simply be a vessel for you. And the Father, as the, the words come to each person in this room, that you would bring them to bear in whatever way you need to in each heart that's present. Believers and unbelievers alike. Father, I pray that you would just, that you would enlighten us, that you would grow us, that you would shape us, that you would encourage us, and that you would, that you would build in us a boldness and a courage to go and do what we've been called to do. To live the life that we've been called to live. To say the words that you've told us to say. To be the people that you've created us to be. Father, I thank you for this word. And as difficult as it might be to hear, I pray that we will all leave here knowing that we have a mission to do. A people to reach. And your power and your might sending us to it. So all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had been teaching his disciples as he said these words. He'd been teaching them for some time. But there was a specific time when he sat down with them in the upper room just hours before he would go and be tried and condemned and hung on a cross. Just hours before that, he sits with them in an upper room and he tells them of a betrayer in their midst. And he tells them of this death that he is going to die and they are crushed. And he ministers to them, he pastors them, he teaches them things and, and comforts them. And he puts in them this hope that they have of, of, of a coming uh, uh, fruitfulness and a, and a coming purpose. And he, and he puts in them this hope of, of that this is not going to be forever. He, he helps them see that there is going to come an end to this. And that one day it's all going to flush out and it's all going to be worked out and that, that all things that are, that are meant to be are going to happen and it's all going to be over and that one day everything is going to be restored as it was meant to be. He puts in them these words. 
he teaches them. He had started in John chapter 13 with them. And, and, you know, we look at it as John chapter 13. For him, it was the upper room. And he had pulled out of public ministry and he began to teach and minister and pastor and, and, and put in them this truth and, and give them this hope and this, and this, and this instruction. But as you're going to see today, as we come to his words today, he's going to turn a corner. We've just finished a series on the vine and the vineyard that Jesus taught of in John chapter 15, where, where the overarching theme is that Jesus is the vine. Our connection to him is what makes the difference in our life. And as we are connected to him, as we abide in him, God works in us and he makes us fruitful and he sends us on this mission. See, what happens is his supernatural work in us. Those things that he does in us make such a distinct difference in our lives that it changes us. In fact, the truth is, as we'll see today, it changes everything. It changes everything. And as he teaches his disciples, as he's speaking to them and he says, I want you to have peace, I'm telling you this, so that you can have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He is helping them see. He's helping them see that the mission that they're being sent on is going to be dangerous. It's going to be tough. But the victory is already won. You see, well, I want to bring that now into our day and time and, and, and our way of thinking. We live in a church culture that says if you'll believe enough, then God's going to do all the good things for you. If, if you will, if you will just do enough good things, if you'll send enough money to the right pastor, you will never suffer, suffer problems or trouble. In fact, he is going to return that to you however many fold. You see, we live in a church culture that wants all of the good and is so afraid of experiencing the bad. It's common to hear this teaching and when you turn on the television and you flip to a Christian station. It's common to hear this teaching coming from the pulpits in our churches today. But that doesn't sound anything like what Jesus said. In fact, this teaching, he, he, in this verse, in chapter 16, verse 33, he is summarizing two chapters worth, or actually a chapter and a half's worth of verses talking about persecution. And the struggle that they will have living the life that they've been called to. You see, he's calling them to live a life where they're going to be hated. Where they're going to be despised. Where they're going to be killed. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's step back and just see what he's got to say. We'll start in John chapter 15, verse 13, where he really begins to be, he, he, he's beginning with an emphasis first on who they are in him, but quickly turns the corner and demonstrates how that connection to him sets them apart from the world. John chapter 15, reading from 13 to 17, he says, greater love, actually step back to verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, 
For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. (laughs) For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the... Ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, there's four things before we move any further that I want you to understand from this passage. You could probably pull more of it than that, pull more out of it than that, but for this message, I think there's four things that you need to understand. He speaks first about the greatest love. He speaks next and he talks about that no longer are they going to be servants but they are friends. He's no longer viewing them as, as, as servants, but he is calling them friends. He then talks about or demonstrates in his wording that he remains in, in authority. Jesus remains in authority. Last night at the baptism, I read from Matthew chapter 28 where he said, all authority has been given unto me. So go and teach and make disciples. You see, he's the one that has, he's the one that's in the position that can speak and command. And then he also says that his friends do what he is what they're commanded to do. See, Jesus obviously was about to prove the greatest love. The disciples didn't exactly know what was going to happen, but Jesus did. He is about to, to, to work this work, to do this thing that is about to show them what the greatest love in the world ever has looked like. He is about to, to be arrested. He is about to be tried, condemned, and hung on a cross, and he didn't deserve to be there. But he's laying his life down for the, for, for those that follow him, that for those that trust in him. What he's giving to them and, and what he's telling them, you see, it's going to matter so much in just a short time. And they don't even know it. See, their lives, they're just about to be flipped upside down. These disciples, they're sitting there and they're hearing these teachings and they're, and they're hurting and they're feeling sad and they're wondering what, man, how bad could it be? But, but they don't understand in, in just a few hours. In just a short while. These guards and, and Judas, one of their own, is going to walk into the garden and they're going to take this man that they've been following. And they're going to haul him off as if, as if he's some criminal to be tried. And they're going to bring him before the, 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 the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin and the high priests are going to say, Hey, look, you say you're God. That's blasphemy. You deserve to die. You know what? We're going to take you to the Romans and we're going to have you crucified. And their lives are going to be flipped upside down. They don't even know what's coming yet. But, but these words that Jesus is saying, they're so important to understand. He's telling them, this is the greatest love. This is what it looks like. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. Remember this. You need to love one another in this way, he says. Remember this. It's so important. You see, and it's not the first time that he's talked to them about love. In fact, in John chapter 13, as he's sitting in the upper room, he says, this is a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. He had just put on a towel, wrapped a a towel around his waist, and knelt and done the job of the lowest of all the lowest servants. And he had washed their feet. He said, as I've done this, This is what you're supposed to do. You see, He loved them in in humbling Himself before them. He loved them by doing for them what nobody else was willing to do. He loved them by serving them. You see, He loved them by doing for them. By, By considering their actions over His own. He loved them. This is the greatest of all loves that a man would lay down his life for his friends. 
You see, I don't simply think that Jesus is talking about this love and, or, or this act of, of dying for your friends. You see, the word that he talks about, or the word that he uses in there, is not simply one of your life, but your existence. If you were to go back to the original language, he's talking about simply, not simply dying for your friends, but giving your existence to them. And that's what he's exemplified all the way through. Remember this. Because as we move forward, it is imperative that we follow this command. We'll hear it again. You see, Jesus not only told them about what this greatest love looked like and what it was about, but He also told them that they were no longer going to be seen as servants, but they were going to be friends. You see, Jesus never chose these disciples, these 11 men sitting in front of them. He he never chose them to be His minions as if they were just simply people that were expendable and would run off and do His bidding. And if they didn't work out, He just crushed them. That was never His intention. I can't help but thinking about Despicable Despicable Me. I haven't seen the movie yet, but all the little minions, the little yellow dudes that run around and they blow up and all of these things happen to them because the guy's inventions don't necessarily work or whatever happens to them. It's not that they care, that the master didn't care about them. But see, Jesus looks at these disciples and he says, you're not just my slaves. You're not just people who I'm using for just exhausting your life out of you and, and just taking and taking and taking and I'm sending and sending and sending. You're my friends. I care. You mean something to me. You're more than just a piece of property. You're a person who I want to be in relationship with. And he says to them and teaches them in such a way that they understand that he stands still in authority. You see, Jesus, as he he called them friends, he didn't say, look, I'm your bud that's going to go out clubbing with you this weekend. I'm the person that's just going to hang out at the bar and smoke stogies with you. That's, that's That's not what he did. That's not how he said it. He, he demonstrates his care and his concern by, but, but never relinquishing his, his position of authority or deity. You see, because he's the one still commanding. And he's still the one sending. He says, I chose you for a great purpose. I chose you with this in mind that you would go and bear fruit. And you know what? If you're my friend, You'll obey me. And when he said that, when he said that, that, that his friends obeyed him, it wasn't as if, okay, if you want to be my friend, you're going to do exactly what I say and you're going to obey me. I heard one preacher talking on this. He said, he, he illustrated this thought in this way. How many of you pay taxes? About everybody in the room. Did you pay taxes to become an American citizen? Or do you pay taxes because you're an American citizen? You see, we don't obey to be friends of Jesus. We obey because we're friends of Jesus. That's what he says. That's that's the mark of our life is that we live obediently. And he's telling them this. This is what your life's going to look like. It's got great mission. It's got great purpose. And you will obey my commands as my friends. This is the thing that I'm giving to you. Love one another as I have loved you. And here's why that's so important. John chapter 15, verse 18, he begins to help them see why this is so important. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And that doesn't sound too bad at first, you know, because 
if the world hates you, if you go out there and the world hates you, you know, just know that it's hated me first. It might happen, but don't get too concerned. But you see, it doesn't stop there. If you were of the world, the world would have loved, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know me. You know, it starts off not sounding too bad at first. But pretty quickly, the language he uses begins to demonstrate that it's going to happen. If they're going to live the life that they've been called to live, they will deal with persecution. They will suffer persecution. They will be hated. They will, they, they, they will live this life that, that, that sets them, sets them apart from the world. It, it sets them in a position that's against the world. To understand this, I think we must understand and we must put, put in our minds the idea and understanding that there truly is a war that goes on. Paul talks about this. Jesus is demonstrating it here. There is truly a war that goes on. It's not a war that's fought like the wars that we, we experience in this life. It's not like the war on terrorism. It's not like the war that, that's some ideological thing that we think that we can, that we can thwart all evil just by going and, and, and killing and beating up and, and, and showing our power. It's not like World War II where we were fighting on another continent and that was over, over some guy's idea that he could rule all of, all, all of Europe and that he could wipe out some race that he didn't care about. It's not a war like that. It doesn't happen on the sea or on the land or in the air. It happens in heavenly realms. It's a spiritual war. And, and sometimes you'll hear this war, it's referred to as, as, a, as a war for the hearts of men, but I don't agree with that statement. And the reason I don't agree with that statement is because the enemy who's fighting this war against our God and Creator couldn't care less about you and about me and about our hearts. You see, we're insignificant to Him. It's not our hearts He wants. It's not us that He wants. He doesn't care if we adore Him. He doesn't care if we worship Him. What He wants is to see His Creator, our Creator, crushed. What He wants is, is, is for His own agenda to rule. You see, He doesn't care about you and about me, and that's how I know that His, his war is not for us. He cares about Himself and what He wants. You see, in this war, we don't even recognize sometimes, many times, that we're a part of it. And, and the sad thing is, is that if, if people who are in church and who know the truth don't recognize that we're a part of it, how in the world would the rest of the world ever know that they're a part of it? You see, so as I share these words and as I talk about what Jesus is saying, I don't want you to look out and, and think of people in the world as your enemy. You were never called to hate anyone. You were never called to go out and, 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 and with disregard and with hatred in your heart punish people because they're not like you or don't know the truth. You see, Jesus says, you will be hated, speaking to his disciples. He says, he says they are going to hate you. <laughs> If 
if you're living this life, they're going to persecute you. They're going to, they're going to try to destroy you. See, these men, they would be hated and they would be persecuted and they would live that life. And, and, and you know what? That was very true in their life. Do you realize that out of all of the, out of the 11 men that we know for sure that Jesus is sitting there talking to, out of those 11 men, only one died of old age. John. It's not that they didn't try to kill John for his message and for the truth he taught. It's not that they didn't, that they didn't want to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil, but he was miraculously saved from that. But John, the one that wrote this gospel, is the only one that lived and died of, of natural causes. Philip? Philip was scourged. Just like Jesus. He was beaten with a, with a whip and his, his body was torn. He was thrown into prison and he was crucified. Matthew was killed with a halberd. A halberd is, is this medieval weapon. It's got a long, long staff on it and at the end is an axe head. And at the end of that, and depending on, depending on who you listen to and who you study from, sometimes it's a sword at the end of it and sometimes it's the head of a spear. But in either case, they chopped on him and beat on him with this halberd. And maybe if he didn't die with the, with, with, with the chopping and the beating with the axe, they could scourge him or they could poke him through with the spearhead or the sword and kill him. That's how he died. Because of his message. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. That's where they got the name, St. Andrew's Cross. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified like his Savior. Thomas was killed with a spear. Only one of these men died of natural causes because of their message. You see, it's important to understand they, they were they were sent they had a mission. They had a purpose. They had an understanding that, that from Jesus they were given this to do. And they were called to love one another while they were doing it. They didn't just die for this mission. The life that they lived was difficult. They dealt with persecution at every turn. And the early Christians, not just these men, the early Christians all experienced it. You can read stories in the book of Acts of how these men were arrested and, and, and persecuted day in and day out because they were preaching Jesus Christ. And every time they were confronted, it was as if they were, to, they were, they were told, quit preaching Christ and we'll leave you alone. And they would say, well, we can't. We can't quit preaching His name. We can't quit telling this truth. But they would be in prison. They would be beaten. They were stoned. They were, all of these terrible things would happen to them because of this mission. And the world hated them. They hated them. And the hatred of the world directed at these 11 men is what gives us great hope today. Think about it. <clears throat> There's one story that was circulated, or at least one prominent story that was circulated about the reason that the tomb was empty that morning, that Sunday Easter morning, some of his disciples came and took the body. First, they would have had to fight through the Roman soldiers. They would have had to figure out a way to move this stone. But then after taking the body, unanimously, they would have had to deal with beatings, stonings, jailings, 
and, and going to their death for a lie, if it had been a lie. You see, because of these men's persecution, because of what these men endured for the name of Jesus Christ, you and I can say with assurance that the tomb was empty and His mission continues and His love for us has been proven and that the hope of salvation is real. You see, because of this, because of what they did and endured, they built for us a foundation built around the cornerstone Jesus Christ that we're still building on today. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Paul is writing and speaking to the Ephesians. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's in Jesus Christ, the work of Christ. There's, there, there's no other thing that pulls it and holds it together. But on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the work that was done by them, these people were saved. You know who's saved because of that work as well? You and me. See, the testimony of these eyewitnesses, it lays the groundwork for all those that would follow. And for all those of you, of us today that are sitting here and are believers, we have this to look back on and see that they did this work in the name of Jesus Christ. And this work laid the foundation for the hope that we have today. It started with Jesus. He sent His people on a mission. And they were hated for it. This is where it's going to get tough. That mission belongs to you and me. If you're a believer sitting in this room today, that mission is yours. And you have to be careful because Jesus was speaking these words in John 15 and 16. He was speaking them directly to the apostles. And I think that there was a direct application to the suffering that they would exist in and that they would deal with. But I think the principle is it's very applicable to us today. I think easily we can say that as believers today we've been chosen to go and bear fruit that abides. You see, and I think I can say that because it wasn't just Jesus that said that. Paul picked up on that same theme later when he was speaking of salvation to the Ephesians. In fact, just before he talked to them about being saints and, 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 and being part of the household of God, he told them, you are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves, so that no man can boast this, not of yourselves, so that no man can boast. It was done for you. It was worked for you. You know, and, and if it stopped there, if it, if it stopped there and that was the end of it, that would be one thing. If it, if, if that was all he had to say, that would be great news in and of itself, but he doesn't stop there. He says this, he says, I'm gonna forget it. He says, we are, his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the mission that the apostles owned is the same mission that's been given to you and to me. So Christians, hear this call. Hear Jesus' call. You are His friend. You matter to Him. There's nothing in your life that He doesn't consider. There's no, there's no part of your life that's not important to Him. You're His friend. Hear His command. Love one another. You see, this is going to be the secret of it all. This is going to be the thing that keeps us going and, and, and able to move. We're, we're not just a, a group of people or individuals that come together on Sunday morning and split and go our separate ways and, and don't care about another, another one of us all week long. We're to love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that He lay down His life, that He lay down His existence for the other. How are we gonna, how are we gonna pick up this mission and walk in it? How are we gonna pick up this mission and deal with the persecution that comes because of it? For not loving one another. You see, all too often in churches, we're, we're, we're disconnected. We're just individuals. We're showing up. We're sitting there and we're looking for what we can get out of it. And then we're going home. Christians, you were called to love one another as Jesus loved you. You should come into the church. You should come into the, to the assembly of the saints looking for how you might serve others. Looking for how you might do for them. Looking for how you might humble yourself unto them. That they might be grown and encouraged so that they could go on mission. And you know what happens if every one of us comes doing that? If everyone comes looking for how we might love one another, there's no one wanting. It happened in the Acts 2 church. They recognized the importance of one another so greatly that they began to start sell personal property and they began to get rid of their own things and think less about themselves and more about their brothers and sisters and they began to give it to the church that, the, that nobody would be in need, that nobody was wanting. Well, what if I give more than somebody else? If the church does what the church is supposed to do, we'll be satisfied. He will feed His people. He will take care of our needs. He will fill our hearts with peace and with joy and with love. In the weeks to come, as He dealt with this teaching on persecution, He also teaches about how the Holy Spirit ministers and how the Holy Spirit teaches. And His Spirit will fill us. Oh, have that reassurance. This is why it's so important for us to hear His call. We are His friends. We. Listen. We. Not you by yourself and no one else matters. We are His friends. We are called to love one another as He has, called, as he has loved us. Hear His call to go and to tell. Because the mission that He was giving to these apostles is the mission that He sent to tell them to tell those that would follow them. And that mission has been handed down to you and to me. Christians, hear His call to take a stand in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Our war is not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not the, the, the gay person that works in the cubicle next to us. It's not the, it's not the guy that goes to the strip joints every night of the week. It's, it's not our call to stand up and, and hate them and, and be mean to them and be rude to them. It's our call to tell them the truth that without Jesus Christ, they have no hope. You see, Jesus, He kept teaching. He kept teaching in John chapter 16. He says this, They will put you out of the synagogues. In 16.2 He says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering services to God. We need to stand together. We need to love one another because everybody else, they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand why they're hating us. We need to stand together. They think they're doing a good thing in many cases. John chapter 16, 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So I have said these things to you again in verse 33. I have said these things to, these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Christian, it's time for us to take a stand for the name of Jesus Christ. To, to, to take a stand, not hating, not, not fighting, not waging war against those who are around us, but loving them by bringing grace and truth. Loving them by telling them that there is only one name under heaven and earth by which they might be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. You see, as we embark on this mission, as we, as we step out on this mission, you can be sure that you will be hated and that you will be persecuted. And sometimes I wonder if we're not dealing with some of those things at some level in our life, why aren't we? You see, you can go to different places in the world and you can see Christians standing against all odds. In China, pastors are being arrested, beaten. Iraq, Iran, Voice of the Martyrs. I would encourage you to get on this website, voiceofthemartyrs.com. These people are willing to stand up and tell the truth at whatever cost it is to them. Christians hear the call. The mission has not ended. And you live in a nation that is buying a lie. They need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. He is their only hope. You see, here's the truth of the statement from 1633. Everybody will experience trouble and tribulation in this world. Everybody will have struggles and problems in this world. It's a result of sin. But only for Christians can we apply. Take heart. I have overcome. Unbelievers, if you're here today and you're hearing these words, don't hear us trying to set ourselves against you. Don't hear, don't hear me trying to say that we're better than you. We're not. We're resting in grace. Unbelievers, don't think that in some way we, we dislike you. We want you to experience 
what we know to be true. We want you to feel the love and grace and joy that comes in knowing our Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to, to see Him and, and feel Him in your life and to experience the power of His Spirit. And, and we want you to understand this truth so deeply and be taught by it and changed by it so deeply that you join us in our mission. You see, unbelievers, it's really true. Jesus Christ came to save us. We can't save ourselves. And when He does a work in you, it bears fruit in you that changes you and sets you apart to a distinctly holy life. But there is no hope of that apart from Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed.